the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When heaven is open for the fourth and final time, the white horse rider appears and the Bible proclaims that he is faithful and true. Just like God in his word, he is faithful and true. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. And thank you so much for listening. Today's Reaching Your Heart is the conclusion to the White Horse Rider, Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message here today. And remember that you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, the White Horse Rider is today's Reaching Your Heart. And here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. So do you know that this church is built on a horse farm? That we have horse trails that go along behind us? And they're still active according to zoning laws? It'd be nice to have a horse here at Reaching Hearts, wouldn't it? I don't know, I'm thinking. Or at least a horse club. Friends, Jesus is patient because he waited for 2,000 years to come at the end of time to make war on that horse. This week, Iran shot down one of our drones in the Persian Gulf. How many of you have been following that? It looks like we had war in play. The President of the United States, and I believe in respecting the President of the United States, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, I don't like to hear any president denigrated. The Bible says that our leaders are appointed by God, So when we have a Democratic president, should we respect him? Yes or no? We should. When we have a Republican president, what should we do? Respect him. I just made enemies with Democrats and Republicans here, you know. I can't win. But that's what the Bible teaches. So we should stay out of this stuff of taking shots at our political leaders. No matter how you feel, we should pray for our leaders, shouldn't we? We should rejoice in the right, not the wrong. We see them doing a good thing. Now here's a good thing. The President of the United States gave the command to attack... But then he asked the question of his generals, how many people will die in that attack? They said about 300 souls will certainly die in the first strike. President Trump considered the loss of a drone, a mechanical device, against the loss of 300 lives. At least for now, he called the attack off. He was greatly criticized for that. Friends, in my way of thinking, it was one of the finest things I've ever seen in my lifetime. A war that didn't happen. Restraint that was felt in all of us. I have a son in the military. You know, I care about these things now. When all the bloody hotheads were calling for war, our president considered the worth of a human life and he called the war off for a time. I think the Holy Spirit and angels were engaged in this week's activity for us. I'm not a Democrat or Republican, as I've said, but today I am proud that our commander-in-chief chose mercy instead of war. And in that way, I'm being very focused here, 
He represented Christ. Christ is all about mercy and not about war. He doesn't want to have a war with evil. Yet he's engaged in it because it came at him and his father. Jesus for 2,000 years has chosen mercy instead of war because God values every single life. But there will come a day when mercy will no longer matter because the heart will become hardened. The dragon will gain control of the world. And God's law and God's people and God himself, the dragon will attack at the time of the end. And in that day, Jesus will come to deliver because there's nothing else he can do. There's no one else to win. The Holy Spirit cannot move on a hardened heart that will not turn to God anymore. And so Christ will come in the vestiture of war to make war on evil and to save His people. In Revelation 19, 12-13, the Bible provides a symbolic description of the white horse rider and every symbol is important for us. Open your Bibles. Look at verse 12. It says, His eyes are like a what? What does the text say? A flame of fire. And on His head are what? Many diadems. And he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clad in a robe dipped in blood. And the name which he has called is the Word of God. Now we have so much packed information right here. First, the white horse rider's eyes are like a flame of fire. In Revelation 1.14 and Revelation 2.18, Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. So what is behind this metaphor? And... Why is this metaphor so important? Why does it occur here at the end of the book? In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, there are seven eyes on the Lamb, and seven eyes represent the seven spirits of God. Let me prove it to you. Look at verse 6, Revelation 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw, what does it say? A Lamb standing as though it had been slain. In the Greek, we have a verb that indicates a slain act in the past and a continuous outcome of that suffering. The lamb is slain and he's wounded. He's wounded forever. That's the imagery. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So there are the seven eyes. They're identified as seven spirits. Now the Hebrew idea behind the word seven is the idea of completeness and fullness. Now, if I were to ask you next week, if I were to quiz you, what does the number seven represent? What would you say? Completeness and fullness. The seven spirits represent the complete spirit of God. The full spirit of God. The Holy Spirit in His entire reach throughout the universe. That's what it means. Friends, God finished His work on the seventh day because it was finished and complete and full on the seventh day. The seven spirits of God represent the complete spirit of God. And these seven eyes are on Jesus, the Lamb. You cannot yank the Holy Spirit out of Jesus. Christ is full of the Spirit of God. It flows from Him, out of Him. The eyes of the Spirit are His eyes. Eyes of fire. The Spirit of God comes from Jesus because Jesus sees everything. And all of the Spirit is inside of Him. So why are His eyes like fire? Because the Holy Spirit is fire. Matthew 3.11, I will baptize you with water, John says. But the one who comes after you, me, will baptize you with fire. And then in the Greek, that is the Spirit. Revelation 4.5, from the throne issue flashes of lightning and voices and peals of thunder. And before the throne burn seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So the fullness of the Holy Spirit is manifested at the throne of God. So let's summarize our findings here. Jesus as the white horse rider has eyes of fire in Revelation 19.12. 
The seven torches that burn before God's throne in Revelation 4 5 are the seven spirits of God. The Lamb has those seven eyes in Revelation 5 6, which make them eyes of fire, which are the seven spirits of God that go into all the earth. So the seven torches are the seven eyes of the Lamb. Pertinent question. Why are there seven eyes and not six or eight or something like that? Why seven eyes? Of course, it means fullness and completeness. In the Hebrew sanctuary, the candlestick in the holy place, the menorah, which was a seven-branch candlestick, stood opposite the table of showbread that held two stacks of bread, and God's Word is symbolized by bread, so the light and the Word was interacting symbolically here. And the lamp that illumined the Word of God, the table of showbread, was right there before it. And it was a seven-branch candlestick that looked like a burning bush, like the one that Moses saw on the mountain. And in the Hebrew Bible, each one of those lamps that was a part of that candlestick was made to look like an almond blossom. Now, the Hebrew word for almond is shached. It is built off the Hebrew verb to see, shachad. So an almond and an eye match in the context. So each lamp represented an eye, a burning eye that was in the sanctuary of God. If you look at an Egyptian eye on a statue or hieroglyphic, anybody study hieroglyphics here? I took hieroglyphics for 10 weeks, went through Gardner's classical grammar, and it about killed me. 12 hours of study every day just to stay ahead. I got an A, but only because the teacher was nice. She figured anyone who didn't drop out of the class would get an A. You should take three years to study hieroglyphics. So why are there seven eyes? Let's count them. The seven eyes of God roam through the earth, north, south, east, and west. How many directions are there? Four. That's four eyes. That leaves three eyes left that move throughout the earth. Up and down, right? Like a submarine or an airplane. That's five and six. So how many directions do we have left? That leaves one direction left, one eye left, yet unidentified. What is the direction of the seventh eye? The seventh eye is for your heart and your mind and your soul, the secret place where God finds you in prayer. It's inside. Jesus has seven eyes that see the whole universe, and God sees inside of all of us with that seventh eye. He sees the heart. He knows the intentions and motives of the mind. Friend, Jesus knows what you are going through. Jesus sees it with all His eyes of fire, and His grace burns a hole all the way into your heart with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Friend, Jesus knows what you're going through, and Jesus sees it all with His eyes of fire. And His grace burns a hole all the way through the mess of your heart into the secret place where the Holy Spirit can cauterize the wound. And the one who has the eyes of fire cares about you on the inside where it matters most to God. When the flame of faith is about to flicker out for you, the seven eyes of fire sees you and God cares. So in Revelation 19.12, the white horse rider has a crown with many diadems on his head. Why is this important? You see, at the end of the investigative judgment, the marriage of the Lamb, we know in the books of Daniel and Revelation that Jesus Christ will receive as His own possession all the kingdoms of the earth. He will become the official monarch of planet earth. He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me show you an evidence of this. Turn to Luke 19, 11 and 12. And they heard these things. He was preaching and teaching. And Jesus proceeded to tell a parable 
because he was near Jerusalem, because they supposed that the King of God was to appear immediately. They wanted him to set up his kingdom right here on earth in the days of the Roman Empire. But Jesus had told them, my kingdom is not the king of the world, it's the king of heaven. So in verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country. And he's talking about himself. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to a far country. For what purpose? To receive a kingdom and then return. Christ receives His kingdom near the end of human history in heaven. Then He returns. That is the investigative judgment, the marriage of the Lamb. Here are prefigured. Daniel 7, 13, and 14 at the end of the great world empires. At the end of the Middle Ages. Four great beasts and then the ten horns. The Middle Ages. The little horn antichrist power arises in the Middle Ages. Then the Son of Man shows up to take dominion away from that religio-political system of the Middle Ages so He can take the Gospel to the world. And in verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. That's like Revelation 19.11. Behold, the white horse rider. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. Now notice what it says. He came to the Ancient of Days. He doesn't come to this earth here. He's coming to God the Father inside the most holy place where His throne is at. And He was presented before Him, before God. Now look what happens in verse 14. To Him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That happens in the investigative judgment. And so Christ is declared by the universe as he confesses the names of his people according to John, one name at a time before his Father and the holy angels. He claims the cross as his right to claim whoever he wants to. And I believe there will be millions of unborn babies that Christ will name. Children who never knew the evil that killed them who will be resurrected to be raised in an eternal realm. And as his kingdom is determined by the power of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, God gives the future world, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, to Jesus. And He comes in the glory of His Father with a kingdom He has just received. In Revelation 19.12, the white horse rider has a name inscribed that no one knows but He Himself. That means His name is the mystery of Christ. And that His character at the deepest level can never be fully understood by any of us. There is something about Jesus we can never get to the bottom of. In Revelation 5, 1-4, the scroll with seven seals is a book of mystery. Only one person can open the book. It is the Word of God that no one can understand but God. But the Lamb can, and He opens it. And suddenly we can understand a little. In John 1, 1, Jesus is the Word. In John 1, 9, Jesus is the true light that enlightens every man. The light is the Word. Thy Word is a lamp and a light, but Jesus is the light of the world. Friend, Jesus is a well of truth. And no one can get to the bottom of Jesus except Jesus. Jesus is profound. The springs of God, springs of the Holy Spirit are deep inside of Him. And the mind of God is the well of living water that is the Spirit that cannot be fully grasped by any of us. How many of you want to think some profound thoughts? Well, you know, get to know Jesus. Get out of the philosophy books and get into Jesus. Deep and profound is the Son of God. In Revelation 19.13, the white horse rider is clad in a robe dipped in blood. In Genesis 37.1, Joseph's coat of many colors was dipped in blood. He was betrayed. 
He was taken to Egypt, sold into slavery, a prefiguring of Christ. When Christ died, when His raiment was splattered with His own blood, He was betrayed. He was sold into the hands of the devil with 30 pieces of silver. In Isaiah 63, 2-4, the metaphor has its origin in the Old Testament. Why is thy apparel red? Thy garments like His that treads in the winepress. And here's the answer. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I was alone. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. I died for them. And I have stained all my raiment, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. Friends, Jesus died for the sins of the world. There's not a wound you have, there's not a sin you've experienced that was not sucked into Him. And when He shed His blood, our blood was on His clothes. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. He was poured out for every person. Raymond read. Revelation 19.13 ends with the final description of the white horse rider. The text says, the name by which he is called is the Word of God. In the Bible, God's name and God's law are the same thing. Psalms 119.55 I remember thy name in the night, O Lord, and keep thy law. Deuteronomy 20.58 God's name, God's law, same thing. Friend, God's name and God's law are the same truth in your Bible. You know, we have a commandment that says we should honor God's name, doesn't it? What commandment is it? I'll quiz you. What? What commandment says we should not take the name of the Lord our God in vain? Thank you. You got it right. That means also we should not take His law in vain. We should not ignore the law of God. God's law, God's name, same thing. In John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word of God comes to Abraham in Genesis 15.1 and speaks to Abraham. The Word of God is the preexistent Christ. That means Jesus is also the light of the world, the true light that enlightens every man, John says, was coming to the world. Friends, I'll make this statement. Jesus is the Ten Commandments. Did you hear me? Jesus is the Ten Commandments because the law of God that is the Word of God is His name. He is called the Word of God. When a man or woman sets aside any precept of the Ten Commandment law of God, that man or woman has disregarded the name of Jesus Christ. The name of the beast, the name that is associated with the mark of the beast, represents a law at odds with God's law. When a man or woman sets aside the Bible for human ideas or cheap theological abstractions, they're really setting aside the Word of God, the name of Jesus. You cannot separate the Bible in your hand from the Jesus who died on the cross. Jesus is the Word of God. 
God signed your Bible with Jesus' name. It's all in it. He has many names in the Bible. But one of the names that he is known by is the Word of God. You know, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody telling me that this is just a book full of mistakes and the thoughts are the only thing that matter, God somehow got those through, sort of, but the words aren't held in a marvelous kind of way, I know that's nonsense. Because the power of the living God gave us the Bible of the last days because Jesus is named the Word of God. Psalms 33, verse 6, By the word of God the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of His mouth. The word of God is the creative agent. Christ created the universe. Hebrews 1, 1, In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of His nature, upholding the universe, and here it is, by the word of His power. And when He had made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus' name is the word of God. And because Jesus is the word of God, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what it means. The word of God is His authority. Revelation 19.15, And from His mouth issues a sharp sword, with which to smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Dear heart, Jesus' name, that no one can fully understand is the Word of God. And Jesus' name is the King of kings and Lord of lords because the Word of God must rule in our lives at the time of the end. Jesus is Lord because Jesus is the Word. Pilate placed the inscription over the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That royal inscription was both true and false. It was. It was true in what it affirmed. It was false in what it denied or left out. Yes, Jesus is the King of the Jews. But Jesus is more than just the King of the Jews. Jesus is the King of the universe. And every people group from Adam to the end, Jesus is Lord. And so the inscription was written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew for the world to read and know that Jesus, the King of the Jews, is the King of the whole world, really. When Jesus died on that royal cross for every person, He earned the right to be our King because Jesus wore the crown of thorns for you and me and every soul from Adam to the end. He felt the painful prick of every man and woman's sin-sticking pain deep inside his head as if he was guilty for every bit of it because at the cross he became sin for us. And what does the Word of God have to say to sinners like us who need a royal decree from the king at the time of the end that can set the soul free from the bondage? What does the king say to all of us thorns who have pricked him hard at the cross inside his head with everything wrong? What does he do? What is the decree that comes from his mind through the word of God, his mouth to us at the cross? Friends, Jesus is the word of God. And he spoke for God as God at the cross. God was in Christ for every man and woman to the end. Here's what he said. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is the Word of God. We may never fully understand who Jesus is in our life. I've looked at what Jesus said at the cross so many times in my life and I can't grasp it. 
There are times I don't feel like it's true. There are times I can't understand how he could say that. And yes, that is the word of God that God says to me and you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus is a marvelous Lord. We may never fully understand who he is in our life. But Jesus understands himself and he understands us and he knows the way to God. He knows God. He is in control of the facts and the journey. He can make up for the mistakes. He can restore you after a fall. He can keep you from falling. And when you come to that royal cross with the baggage of a sinful life with all its wounds, and you bow down there at the foot of the cross before the Word of God, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, you find right there at the cross that mercy, God's mercy is the man in the middle between the two thieves. And that His kingdom's love and light in the darkness of the cross. And that His name is wonderful. A name that no one fully knows but He Himself. A name that no one fully understands in the darkness of the cross where the glory and the light of God shines the brightest and where the light of God's Word shows the way from the darkness into the kingdom of light. Dear heart, Jesus is the Word of God. And Jesus is faithful and true. Dear heart, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again because Jesus is the white horse rider who makes war on evil to save you. Jesus is coming again. Well, that will conclude the white horse rider. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And don't forget that you can always find these messages online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Have you ever wondered what happens five minutes after death? Do you long for the assurance of eternal life? Is there a longing in your heart for something beyond this life? Dark Tunnels and Bright Lights by Mark Finley is the message of hope that you need. This book presents the real truth about life after death, and it is more amazing than you can imagine. Call for your copy today. Here's the information you need. The telephone number is 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673-855-888-HOPE. Or you can go to the website reachingyourheart.com. Call for your copy today. The book is yours for a donation of any size. And remember that your donations help to keep this ministry on the air. And we thank you for your support. And we hope that you'll join us again next time we get together for another edition of Reaching Your Heart.